Hi, and welcome to episode 252 of the Untethered Podcast. Today we have Tiffany Zilberman joining us. And Tiffany is a graduate of the Cass School of Yeshiva University in 2018. She has since worked as a speech language pathologist treating individuals across all age groups and various settings, including pediatric private practices and adult care centers. As her career continued, she began envisioning the possibility of owning her own practice. Organically, her interest shifted towards pediatric feeding, especially after the birth of her daughter about two years ago. She continued to build out her pediatric experience and graduated from Feed the Peds training, which confirmed that this was the right switch for her by going into depth in pediatric feeding. This past summer, she gave birth to twins, gaining personal experience of the unique challenges of feeding multiples and having a twin in the NICU. Most recently, her family and Tiffany relocated to Florida, where she has fulfilled her dream of opening her own private practice called Little Eaters LLC. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified myofunctional therapist, feeding specialist, podcaster, business owner, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, airway, tethered oral tissue, and pediatric feeding therapy space. If you're new here, I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to spread this message far and wide. If you've been around since June 2019, thanks for being a loyal listener. As we jump into today's episode, remember to listen with correct oral rest posture. Tongue up, lips closed, teeth apart, breathe through your nose. Let's get started. I want you to know that doors are open to Feed the Peds. Go to feedthepeds.com because doors will be open for five days only, January 29th through February 2nd, 2024. So go to feedthepeds.com and join us. This is your course if you are interested in becoming a pediatric feeding therapist, learning about the foundations of pediatric feeding and swallowing. All the details are at feedthepeds.com, but essentially this is a 40.5 hour course. That's 4.05 ASHA and AOTA CEUs that can be earned for this course. And we go through everything that you need to learn about typical development, assessment, treatment, tethered oral tissues, how to apply orofacial myofunctional um, information disorders to these, these little ones, these early feeding patients, and then lots of different medical complications, complexities, things that you need to be aware of, as well as taking a team approach, being culturally sensitive, all the things. So go to feedthepeds.com and join us. If you have any questions at all about the course, please go to feedthepeds.com um, and read up on it or email us at support at feedthepeds.com. We cannot wait to see you in there. Tiffany, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I am excited to talk to you because I know from one mom to another, um, we have both had feeding journeys with uh, a child or two. <laughs> and, and it's one of those topics that I think is becoming discussed more, but maybe not always discussed enough. Um, but before we dive into that, I would love for you to just share with us like a bit about your background and like your own journey treating dysphagia, you know, where that started and, and where you are now. Sure. Okay. So I started out really exposed mostly to dysphagia through the adult and geriatric population. Um, I didn't really realize so much of it exists in the pediatric field. And then slowly, as I was diving more, taking more CEUs and educating myself and preparing myself for my, my current caseload that, there, I was doing research and I saw that there's a whole world <laughs> of pediatric feeding and it kind of, you know, was, was present. And then I was also doing um, part-time seeing part-time um, clients also in, in a pediatric private practice. So it was kind of like existing and, you know, there. And um, then I gave birth to my now two-year-old and it all just came together. I started doing tons of research. I had so many questions. As I was experiencing everything, I was like getting more and more into pediatric dysphagia and more and more interested. And I was like really being pulled in that direction. Um, and then, uh, so then I decided to take Feed the Peds and that kind of like affirmed for me that this is where 
I want to go. I want to go like, you know, I'm moving away from the adult. Like I felt like at that point I treated from, you know, from little babies, little kids to 99 years old. I saw the whole lifespan and my heart was pulled straight to pediatrics. And I wanted to just do that, do, you know, pediatric feeding and take it from there. Yeah. I love that. And it's, we talk about this quite often that in graduate school, like I was taught to work with geriatrics and adult dysphagia, and there was nothing surrounding pediatric dysphagia. Um, It really was like speech language articulation, like a lot of, you know, other types of uh, focuses on peds, but nothing when it came to feeding and swallowing. And so, yeah, I mean, you echo that experience. Yeah, totally. I, and, you know, also I feel like a big part of it was being a first time mom and going through like the nerve wrecking moments of like trying to get a baby to latch is the baby gaining enough weight formula, no formula, you know, depending on how the baby's doing and is the baby eating and all of this is pediatric feeding. And I didn't realize this because, you know, like as far as it went for as far as it goes for most people, it's through a patient consultant. It's through, you know, cause we know about that. We didn't know, like no one really knows that there's a whole world of pediatric feeding, pediatric feeding therapists, whether, you know, SLPs or OTs. So that was like a huge part for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's again, one of those things that we need obviously more SLPs and OTs stepping into pediatric feeding. But so now, now that you've had this yes. experience in both the peds world and with, you know, geriatrics and really across the lifespan, you know, would you say it's very different working with pediatrics compared to your, your older adult population? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's day and night. Yeah. So it's just so interesting. Cause I feel like a lot of working with adults, of course, and, and geriatrics, it's a lot of um, maintenance and like quality of care and like, let's get them to their best. And there's not a lot of movement, unfortunately, you know, once there's a certain atrophy in age, it's kind of like, let's just do the best that we can and to keep them as safe as possible, you know, and keep them away from aspiration. And with peds, it's like, let's build them. Let's, you know, let's help them. Let's guide them. Let's improve their development, you know? So it's like, it's two completely two different worlds. And I didn't realize until I, I started learning more and taking more, you know, more coursework and also having my own kids and also starting to treat peds, starting to experience it, you know, and, and seeing that like, I'm really building, helping little kiddos like build tools for the rest of their life versus like adults, you're kind of helping maintain where they're at and keeping them safe, which is super important not to, you know, not to say that that's not a value. It's, it's, it's incredibly important, but my heart was pulled to the peds part of dysphagia versus the adults part, you know? Yeah. 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 No, I totally get that. And, and you really spoke to it in that it's, it's night and day. It's totally different. And, you know, it's, we're not necessarily teaching compensation regularly to pediatrics. We're really teaching them skills, foundational skills yeah. that maybe they don't have or helping to kind of like get them or keep them on like a developmental trajectory. That's going to help them develop an adult like rotary too. Or, you know, it's like, so it is totally. so different when you're kind of habilitating versus like rehabilitating. And some kids mm-hmm. there is rehab involved too. You know, I don't want to downplay that either. Um, but really just setting them up for life. And I think that's that whole conversation of like early intervention and like the younger we get in there, the easier it is to address these things, the easier it is to undo certain patterns because there's fewer of them and there's fewer layers to the onion or the snowball or whatever you want to call it. Right. Yeah, and it's just, yeah. it's, it, it feels hard, I think, when you're in it as a parent and even as a therapist, but it's so much easier than, you know, several years down totally. the road. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. And I feel like there's just there's a big missing component of like mothers having these tools beforehand, before they give birth, before they have these little ones, you know, like I, I had twins five months ago and like, and I already have a toddler at home and having these tools as a pediatric, you know, feeding therapist already in my back pocket, I was able to like understand what was going on despite 
recover, you know, postpartum recovery and sleep deprivation and like all these things. And I keep thinking about like those moms who just don't have these tools are so nervous, you know, so, you know, recovering from birth. It's like a whole other, it's a whole experience. And then on top of that, you're like given this little child to take care of this little baby and like, they don't have any good guidance. And, and it's, it, this is what I was like, Hey, I want to get right in there. And I want to, you know, I want to help moms exactly like me go, you know, go through this experience and help, help them and guide them. And I, I, um, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, I want to talk about a timeline here, right? Yeah. So, okay. So yeah. you yeah. have a toddler. <laughs> a couple of years ago, you have a toddler and, um, that was your daughter and you, yeah. at that point was, you were still working with adults, right? Adult, like this. Yeah, I was still working. Yeah. I was still working with adults. I was doing pediatrics, um, in a private practice on the side. So kind of like two part-time jobs together, <laughs> full-time. And, um, I was exploring the whole experience of pediatric feeding with my daughter from like, you know, breastfeeding, latching, then introducing solids, the whole experience, like doing tons of research, what's the appropriate time. And a lot of times like pediatricians, which I have a lot to say about that also for my twins, but like pediatricians, they, I feel like a lot of the responses are more like generic and don't like they're not customized to like what the struggle is that the parent is going through. And I, I think it's, it could be that there's just not enough exposure for those pediatricians to like be like, okay, I am a resources in the community, which is like my goal. I'm going to be going to a few doctor's offices soon and like sending them all my stuff because I feel like they don't know where to send out to, or maybe like these resources aren't as well known. Um, and maybe they so also like, don't realize yeah. when there's enough of an issue that they should even be referring because, you exactly. know, at the end of the day, like pediatricians, we love our pediatricians, but they're not feeding therapists. They're not feeding, they're not specialized in feeding. And I think, you know, there are some who will take courses just to better their knowledge. But I think yeah, that like, yeah, yeah. we we have this conversation where I'm like, it falls on us, unfortunately, <laughs> to go and educate and say, hey, when you have a baby where mom is saying X, Y, and Z, like that's a referral. When you have a baby where this is happening and they've now come to you for two appointments in a row and things are not improving, that's a yeah. referral. When you have a baby, you know, it's like in giving them actual like specific scenarios and like checklists almost, I think like that's, that's the best we can do because they see, I feel like, you know, pediatricians are in and out as fast as they're in and out. Yeah, and there's so much totally. they have to check and like, you know, but it's so frustrating, right? For us as like the, the feeding therapists who are like, oh gosh, this baby should have been referred to so Yeah, long ago. right. Like if only I met this baby a year and a half ago, this yeah. would have been, you know, this toddler now, you know, like a year and a half ago, this would have been so different. But, you know, we, we take what we get and we work with, you know, and we start building steps from there. Um, but anyway, back to the timeline. Yeah, so you have so twins have, and you started yeah. a private practice. Which one happened first? <laughs> What came first is chicken or the egg. So first I, so I finished these feeds in April and then I envisioned my goal was that I'm going to start my private practice. I don't know exactly when and how things will fall into place, but I kept like envisioning it and I wanted to specialize in pediatric feeding. Um, I, it was like the, the thought was set and I was like, okay, but first I need to like give birth to two babies <laughs> and like recover. Yeah. Yeah. And like recover and readjust to like my whole dynamic of going from, you know, a parent to one to a parent of three and like leaping to there overnight. Know, to there. No big deal. Yeah. Legit. So, um, so yeah, so I, I had twins. I went, I went past due with twins, which was like crazy. I thought it was wild. I, uh, I gave birth 38 weeks in a few days and 38 is considered full term for twins. Um, and thank God naturally and with a girl and, um, they so during all the sonograms they kept saying that the babies were about it's it, boy girl twins by the way the the they kept saying they were like about the same the same weight five and five the whole time um, towards the end and then when i gave birth one twin twin a the boy was six pounds and twin b the girl was four pounds and i like immediately noticed like the second they came out i was like oh my gosh why is that one so much smaller and i like i started obviously like any mother would i started like getting really nervous and then they weighed her and they're like she's just like she needs to go to the NICU mm -hmm. and I knew all about the NICU I, I literally you have a whole module on, on the NICU so like I knew a ton already but still like hearing it as a mom like I was obviously sobbing because no matter no even if it's best case scenario NICU is NICU 
and like your baby's not with you the whole time it was just like such a crazy experience of like having one baby next to me one baby in the NICU like a few floors down and I had to try and (laughs) try and latch a nurse with one then get into a wheelchair because I couldn't walk so much yet get into a wheelchair go down be wheeled down to my NICU baby try and latch a nurse with that one and like, oh yeah, recover, take care of yourself, sleep, right. you know, what? Yeah. I was like running for like three, you know, two Non-stop. days in the hospital. It was wild. Um, and then, so my baby in the NICU, she, they both have lip ties. And I noticed that right away. <laughs> I was self-assessed. And I'm even now kind of monitoring them for functional issues because that's like a big part that I learned from all my CUs and especially from Pee the Peds. Like if it's, what is there a functional issue? So right now, so basically the twin that was in NICU, she had a little bit of low tone and she like, she needed to kind of like build up her muscle strength. And that was very evident to me um, during latching and nursing and even bottle feeding. And I was able, because I had all these tools, I like understood paste feeding. I understood like creating stops for her and like all these things and positioning. And, and that was able to help like build her up slowly, slowly. And then um, my other twin, <laughs> he he did great. He did great with latching. He had the strength and everything. But um, interestingly, he has his own thing. He has plagiocephaly. So he's like flat on one side. So now potentially suspected torticollis. So that's like a whole other experience. And I, I, because I know of like the importance of a multidisciplinary team, I'm, I'm already in contact now with, you know, uh, infant PT. I'm looking for craniosynchotherapy to see, because I could definitely see that both of the twins have tension in -hmm. some way. And apparently it's really common because there's not a lot of space (laughs) and they're all scrunched up for a long time in there. So like they, they're now here and it all I you I would never up until this point understand that ten you know tension creates could could create feeding difficulties for for infants you know um, so that was a whole I'm like working through it literally now as I'm you know treating also kiddos on the side and doing my own private practice I'm like monitoring my own babies for all their you know functional feeding issues or not you know one the the baby who has plagiocephaly potential potential torticollis like there's a lot of spit up with that baby and and when i asked the pediatrician at the four month right before i kind of start got started go, um getting going with my private practice you know she said like lots of tummy time will fix it and i was like okay and you know like they're always like oh it's a happy spitter it's all good like happy spitters and i'm like okay yes like he's not like crying thank god like i don't see signs or symptoms of colic but like i'm like this is this normal like how much of this is normal and it's like having that like mom gut and having that clinician gut and like okay we're gonna we're gonna keep researching we're gonna try and get to the bottom of it so i'm still in the works of figuring that all out with twins well, so I, I have a question now that it's been a month, yeah. you know, is he tolerating tummy time and do you notice it helping at all? <laughs> yes. So it does. It, okay. So my other twin also has tension, the, the girl twin. So she had a harder time with tummy time than he did. And at first she was like not having it. And now both of them are doing much better with tummy time. And I feel that it's, it is impacting the, like the, all the tension that's in this area. They're like able to pull up more, you know, and stay in that position for much longer. Um, and I've noticed that it, the, the spitting off has definitely decreased. Okay. But, you know, and now that's why I'm like, and I keep thinking, so is there a functional functional issue or not? You know, like, yes, they still have lip ties. Is that something I want to like get done? I don't know. Like, you know, I kind of, there's like this fine balance of like, let's wait and see or not, because I don't want to wait and see. And then like, you know, God forbid there's other issues or like developmental delays or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so well, it, because it's hard, yeah, yeah. it's a hard decision to make as a parent too, right? Like the clinician yeah, parent, yeah. Like, it's almost um, like you, you're like, I know too much. 
And I don't want to decide for my own child. And so I love that you said like, you're kind That's of like, you're it. like reaching out to the team, the physical therapist. And like, I, um, cause you're in Davy. So I, I think I've got yeah. a, somebody who's in Fort Lauderdale who may not be too far from you that I have to find oh, the name. Um, that's oh like, gosh, a therapist. So I'm making myself a amazing. note. And, okay, good, good. Yeah, and we can talk yeah, about that. Because I just reached someone in actually in Aventura. I was like, it's it's like, I would do the drive if I had to, but obviously like my life is already so crazy. I need everything within a <laughs> like 10, 10 minute radius of me. Yeah, like, right. I got it. Like we drive to North Miami for the kids, like, you know, uh, dentist who we yes, I remember her extension and I'm just yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I love her. So I do it. But like, it was hard, especially with two kids on two different schedules. Like we tried to like match yeah. appointments as best we could sometimes, but they didn't always match up. So anyways, now we're kind of on the other side of that and more it's like maintenance and, you know, continued growth at this point, but it's hard. Uh, And you've got three kids, two twins, infants, plus a new business. So 10 minutes, 10 minutes max. Exactly. Um, exactly. So talk about the private practice, right? So you start your private practice. What is that like? Are you traveling to people? Do you have a facility? Like what does that look like? So my private practice called Little Eaters. <laughs> um, and uh, so we're doing just home-based visits. And I actually absolutely love that right now. I, I, I feel like getting into the homes of these little kiddos, whether they're, little, you know, smaller babies or children, two-year-olds, four-year-olds, they feel their safest place is their home. Like it's, you know, like moms, you know, parents are there, caregivers are there, like maybe siblings are running around in the background, like it's home. So because of that, I feel like they already have their guard down and I have to spend less time like building rapport and making them feel safe because they already feel so safe, which is like a nice thing. Cause then I'm like, okay, let's get started. Like, you know, let's start different things. Um, you know, on the other hand, it's like cute and fun. Cause like the other kids in the house are like intrigued and interested or popping in or like, you know, I'm treating a four-year-old now, the two-year-olds in the house, you know, taking a look or like wanting to play with all my different tools and stuff. So it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, I, I love the homey feeling. I think it helps so much with kiddos and, you know, to help with progress, it's like a huge part, I think that will impact progress is like going into the homes now. So that's kind of what we're doing. Um, and I'm building my caseload from there. I'm getting right now a lot of, I had a, a week of like a lot of calls of like, you know, consultations with parents and a lot of unbelievable, interesting things. And I'm just like, whoa, you need me and I wanna help you so badly, like let's work together. And you know, there's there's almost nobody in where I live right now. I live in the Hollywood Fort Lauderdale area. I I don't I don't think I, I keep Googling because so I'm like, is there anyone else? Like I wanna know who else I'm working with, who else to refer to if I run out of time, you know, because I want to help parents and I want to help kiddos. And there's really not a lot. And in my community, I I posted in the various, you know, I'm just starting like baby steps. So like I posted in just to to like a, a soft start. <laughs> I posted in like WhatsApp groups and stuff like that, like just community forums and stuff. And so many moms messaged me like, I have been waiting for this. I need this so bad. Like, I have this child. I have this baby. Like, can you help me? What do you think about this? Picky eating, textures, you know, texture aversions, lots of picky, picky eating. Like, parents really don't know how to navigate this. And and I totally get it. Like, I'm a parent. I have a toddler. Like, I I see when she has her moments of, like, you know, weeks of picky eating and, like, how to work through it, how to positively you know encourage her and expose her you know and um and and it's it just yeah (laughs) yeah no I I think that's an amazing thing too because becoming that resource for your community you know especially if you feel like there isn't well if it doesn't exist period or if there's not enough of it is so critical and this is like it's one of my missions, like with Feed the Peds. I, you know, in, in the very beginning, I wanted to start a Mayo course, and my good friend and colleague was like, "We really need a pediatric feeding course that like really d- like goes over all these different things." And I was like, "Ooh, okay. Well, I don't have like all that experience, which, which is where I pulled in others who have the experience, so that we could kind of all like cover the whole, the yeah, whole, you know, sure, very comprehensive sure. and." I felt like that was a resource that was lacking for SLPs and OTs. And it's like, if we don't have the resources, how do we even go and help our own communities and help the patients, you know, near us? And so I just had this big old vision that was like, well, if we can train, we can help like, you know, bring the education forward and we can have more SLPs and OTs step into like being, you know, competent and confident in treating pediatric feeding cases, like 
we can start to make a much larger mark because hi, I own a private practice and, you know, I'm mostly like up North and, you know, Maryland, DC, Virginia area is like my primary practice area. And I'm like, outside of there, you know, we get people who ask me all the time, like, Hey, who do you know here? And who do you know? There? I mean, every single day in my inbox is like, can you refer me to this person? Or this person told me to ask you who to go to. And I'm like, we need a directory. And like, I, you know, but I also want to know that these people on the directory had a certain level of training. Like I'm not vouching oh, right. for people's like, directory, but I at least know that like, for example, you were trained and I can say, Hey, Tiffany is in Davy, like call her. And like, here's the link to her profile, mm-hmm. you know, on our website. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been the most exciting thing for me is just like seeing a couple thousand SLPs and OTs at this point go yeah. through feed the peds. I'm like, wow, like how many more therapists have stepped into, like not saying that everybody's actually stepped into it, not saying that every single person's practicing, not saying that people weren't already feeding therapists, but just to know that, you know, we have such a growing number of feeding therapists. It was like, that's exciting because we have so many communities that so badly need it. It's, it's really, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I, so also aside from doing home visits, I'm also, you know, um, state certified in New York and New Jersey, because I'm originally from the tri-state. So, you know, I have like the virtual support component of therapy that I am also offering. And I'm in, (laughs) I'm in a twin moms group on WhatsApp also. And there's loads of questions like every day, like about, you know, tongue ties, bottle weeding, cup, cup drinking, straws, like, you know, tons and tons of stuff, developmental milestones, feeding solids, how to loads of stuff. And, and it's like interesting because, you know, they post and like every mom comes from expressing what their opinion is based on their own experience, which is valuable and important. But I'm, I feel like I'm, I, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who's like a feeding therapist. Cause like multiple times I'm like, Hey, hi, I'm Tiffany. I'm actually a feeding therapist and the mom. And like, let me tell you, like, not only from experience, but from like evidence, from clinical experience and from, you know, evidence-based practice, like actually (laughs) how to help and what you need, you know, and multiple times or like product recommendations, this, that, like multiple times I'm like, Hey, hi. (laughs) Please don't use that. Use this instead. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I also like, you know, to like be respectful of other moms and other moms experiences and everything is so sensitive during that time. And like, I'm in it, I'm in the time with all of them. And I'm just like, you know, there's just not enough support. Like there, there needs to be, I'm like, I keep thinking like, after all my kids are down, all the, you know, like, I'm sure as you know, it's like being an entrepreneur and stuff, like all the light bulbs start going off. It's like, okay, what can I add? What can I start creating? Where can I get into? What community should, you know, how can I spread more information about this? How can I help more moms, you know? And a big part of what I want to do is like help moms in the postpartum world. Like it's such a sensitive and raw time. And it's so hard to think clearly and to make good and to make decisions for your child and you really want to do the best, like obviously, of course. And I I want to like be there with them and like, so to speak, hold their hand and help guide them and support them. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love that. And you know, it's, it's becoming, I think a more discussed topic where like, I, I talked to a lot of like moms even who have gone through feed the peds who are like, okay, here's the journey I went through and I've taken feed the peds. And now I'm noticing, okay, we've got more resources for clinicians but Mm -hmm. parents really need a lot of resources. And it's so interesting because I think a lot of parents have actually turned to like listening to this podcast, which it's very, you know, it was never when I created it, that wasn't my, my primary intention, but I love that it's used as a tool. Sometimes parents are like, Oh, I listen to your podcast. And like, now I know like what terminology to use to advocate for my child. And I'm like, that is freaking awesome. Like, I'm like, that is so cool. But I do think we need like more of those parent friendly resources from like people who are in this space that can say, Hey, this is based on clinical experience. And it's something that is very, like, you know, easily accessible and really Mm -hmm. speaks to parents who are like, like you were saying, like you're in your fourth trimester, you're overwhelmed, you're exhausted. You don't want to watch a three hour course. You don't want to watch a one hour course. You want to maybe get some like quick information in an easily digestible way that you can immediately take and apply in your current situation. And I think one, it's tricky because like 
who knows what the right information is because, you know, it's obviously we probably should be assessing the child directly one-on-one in situations where parents, you know, maybe don't know that that's needed yet and, or don't have the resources. Like we do need educational information out there for families. So I love that. And I've talked to a lot of other SLPs, like, you know, specifically like mom SLPs who have a lot of the same desires. Some people have put some things out, but I still feel like there's a big gap. Like we still don't have, you know, I can't really think off the top of my head, like where to send anybody in this instant to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. get that information. Like I'll say, Oh, go to my blog. But like, yeah, you know what you're going to have to like search and pass yeah, 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 and stuff and, or go through my podcast website, you know? And I, it, again, it wasn't really created for parents. And I've now started writing some of our blogs, like, and I have somebody actually on my team who is a speech pathologist and myotherapist and mom of many who is actually like writing our blogs for us at this point. And so now it's started to shift more to like that mom mode because I'm like, really this information needs to be out there for them. Right. But like you totally, like there's definitely ways to create things and, you know, even with a fee attached to it so that you're making some money for the, like the expertise that you're putting out there. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. These families can easily, you know, access like quality information. And when they're kind of like, okay, I need more than the 75 examples I got from my mom friends. Like, is there someone else who maybe can help help me like which way we go? Cause like you said, there's valuable information in there. We don't want to be, you know, rude. It's like, sometimes there's information that you're kind of like, I'm glad that worked for you, but like, uh, how do we, how do we tell people not to do that? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of like, oh, you could wait and see, or, you know, like just a lot. It's so skewed from a personal experience. Like I get it. I get where the moms are coming from and like, they, they, you know, they mean well, of course. Another thing that I'm like really going to slowly put together, another way to support moms outside of the fourth trimester world, it's like busy busy working moms, moms that have lots of, you know, multiple kids in the house. I feel like I've been getting a lot of, you know, a lot of calls and a lot of messages about picky eating, texture aversions. And it's like such a tricky thing to, to work through. Cause it's, you know, it's really sensitive. Also moms, we like, don't have a lot of time. Like who's going to have time to like do all this like fun food exploration all the time. And like, you know, let's be real, you know? So yes. I, I'm starting to have this, like a lot of ideas that I'm going to start building the next, you know, the next few months where I want to, I'm going to be running like, like food sensory play groups in the area nice. and like for, for like moms to come with their kids and experience it, see it, have them, you know, have these kids who are like, you know, having texture aversions and exploring those texture aversions and doing it in like a fun, light, pressure-free environment and I feel like that that's what I'm doing a lot right now with private therapy coming into people's homes. And I'm getting really positive responses from these kiddos. And like all of a sudden the moms are like, he'll never touch that ever. I can't believe both hands are deep in jello right now and pudding. Like he would never go, you know, near any of that ever or to allow himself to be dirty and like all these things. And and they're like curious and they want to lick it and eat it all of a sudden, something they would never do before. So I want to create that on like a bigger level with like lots of other kiddos, lots of other moms and like maybe start offering these kinds of like play groups coming into daycares, coming into preschools, like running, you know, they have like extracurricular enhancement like music and yoga and gym and you know why not this be a part of it why not create an opportunity to enrich children through feeding experiences you know love that i love that i will and yeah. like as you're talking i'm like well through like one of the groups you'll also introduce <laughs> like moms to other moms who are going through similar experiences so it can also like you know further that community i'm like and then going into schools when you said that i was like, oh, yeah. like and really, if you think of it as a cooking class, like there are schools who offer cooking yes, classes, but exactly. a cooking class with a twist on it where, you know, exactly. it's a cooking class that's very inclusive, where we are, you know, inviting children in who maybe struggle to engage or interact or even be around some of these foods. And the expectations mm-hmm. of what they do is maybe like, there are no expectations. Your child can sit on the side. They can make their way towards exactly. the table. They can start to touch it. You know, they don't have to touch it. They'll have a napkin to wipe their hands. It's, you know, like yeah, all yeah, the different yeah, things yeah. where I think like the way that it's marketed in a sense to families, I think like if, if I did sign up one of my kiddos for a, a cooking class at one of her preschools, um, like way back when, and mm-hmm. during the pandemic, I was homeschooling my now third grader, but she was in kindergarten at the mm-hmm. time because our schools were shut down. 
And I was trying to be creative with like, okay, how do we meet all these like demands of like homeschooling? Well, okay, if we're cooking, that kind of is like a bit of science and math too. And so, you know, I, <laughs> I one of the really cool things was just by nature that I saw by nature of like her interacting with these foods, like it was like me and her on a virtual Zoom with other kids. And like, she was a little bit younger than some of the other ones, but I was like, it's fine. And we were cooking together and she started to try things that she would have not touched with a 10 foot pole. And like, we're like cutting peppers and she's like, can I try this? And I'm like, yeah, go for it. And she like eats a red pepper. And I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> and then she makes like beef, which she would not touch like meat at all. And then sits down and like takes a few bites of it at dinner. And she's like, I'm like, what do you think? And she's like, I mean, I like it, but I don't want it anymore. And I'm like, fantastic. Fabulous. Like, that's a win. Yeah. 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 And now I have this kiddo who I feel like because it was a very safe, like exploratory and fun environment, like Mm -hmm. she Mm -hmm. now eats hamburgers and she just, we just had, um, she had like filet mignon. I'm like, joke. I'm like, she's a kid who only (laughs) eats like top of the line burgers and filet mignon. Like she will not eat any other beef. Um, Like, yeah, it's just really funny, like to see how not funny, but interesting to see like how she's evolved and through what experiences. And I think a lot of time it's just the experience. And even then sending like, if, you know, sending home something that says, Hey, here's the recipe we made. And maybe even like a little like note of like your child, you know, made the dough, didn't want to taste yeah, it. Yeah, they interacted yeah. with her. I don't know. Just so parents like totally. are kind of like, Ooh, we could try this at home too. You know, I think that's such a cool idea. So I'll stop. So like enrich, exactly. So like a hundred percent, like being able to provide enriching feeding experiences. I feel like it's almost like the preemptive work, like so that you won't need, like, so that they won't need, let's say two years down the line, like, okay, my kid's literally only eating four foods now or six foods or 10 foods. And I'm really concerned or, you know, this, you know, or if some of a child is like, okay, they're not gaining weight. Like we, like, I feel like we could try and step into the realm before things get to, you know, get to that end. So that's where I'm like, so many ideas are flowing and you got to put it all together. But yeah, I think that I I feel like a big part of feeding therapy and being, you know, a clinician of being a feeding therapist is to support parents. They're the ones that are offering these foods. They're the ones that are feeding their children, whether it's bottle feeding, breastfeeding, solids, like they're, they're so much of this experience and like, they a lot of times need a lot of guidance and that's super important you know like google could only take you so far <laughs> you know we say, yeah exactly dr google like you know it's and then you you i really yeah it's like to really be a support for the parents it's huge i think there's also like something in it for the teachers too like i've i've done like not that frequently but in the past i've done some like in services like the week leading up to school starting mm-hmm. and where i went in and like with my ot even once like we talked about like what to look for and what, you know, what certain things may mean. And like, if a child's got food falling out of their mouth and, you know, they're turned around at snack time or you notice behaviors upticking around snack time or lunch or whatever, like we just kind of had these discussions that they all kind of went like, oh, like no one's ever kind of posed it this way before. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so fascinating. And then just being, going into preschools, because my whole practice is like home-based and going into preschools and everything for years and having um, this really good relationship with this one preschool in DC, Addis Israel. Um, their Ganhele preschool is like the biggest mm-hmm. conservative, like synagogue and preschool, cool. like in the nation or something. And they've just like three uh-huh. like floors of like preschool classrooms. Beautiful. It's really cool. And I even though I was like a contractor, like are my team even still, even though I'm not there, my team is still like the recommended like practice. And so mm-hmm. we're in there like several days a week. And it was so very cool to be able to just like plug in and go into like their snack times, go into lunchtime. And sometimes I would just go observe because I had time to go do that. It wasn't like a time I was working with the kiddo, but I'm like, I'm really curious to see now that I've seen them in therapy. Like I'm really curious, like with permission, of course, like I want to go like observe and see what snack mm-hmm. looks like or go and see what lunch looks like. And it was so interesting to watch all the kids, but watch like the kids that were on my caseload and interact with the teachers and educate them. And it just also showed me there was such like room for, you know, education with even the, the teachers because they want to be inclusive and they want to provide these really enriching experiences. Mm-hmm. But then you have kiddos who are honestly, it's like their fight or flight clicks 
you know, kicks in as soon as they see a soup, certain food, like, be put on the table and, you know, having rules like, well, we're all, it's family style kind of a thing. And we're all going to, you know, offer something to each person at the table. And so addressing like really nice social skills and those types of things, very cool. But then I was like, but this kid is totally like not available for that because they right now just completely shut down just based on what was put in front of them. And the teacher is not, you know, they're not they don't connect those dots necessarily because maybe they don't realize that that's an issue. Um, so it was also just, it was very cool to be able to go in and have these conversations and to support the children yeah. like in the classroom even. So I feel like there's just so much that like can be done and that we can, we can be doing and that we can also be helping like our colleagues, like the teachers and stuff, you know, help them um, carry yeah. forward. Because I, I remember too, like one, when my oldest now was in preschool um, and they would make like hala or they would make whatever they'd be making in school. You know, they had this little song where they go mix it once, mix it twice, pass it on to Lily. And like, then they'd move the bowl over. And it was a really like fun, engaging, like no one has to touch anything, but we're putting it in front of you and we're mixing, which is fun. And now it's, we've smelled it, we've seen it, we've kind of interacted with it. And now we pass it on, you know, and it was like, they would almost work the sensory system up incrementally just by nature of what they were doing. And then the kids, like when they got their own like little, you know, piece of holla or whatever it was in front of them, like they were more likely to interact with it because their, their, you know, sensory systems or nervous systems were kind of like already at ease and kind of like, okay, this is new. And I'm not sure that I want to touch that. It seems sticky, but I smelled it. I interacted with it and I don't know, we'll give it a go, you know, and so you kind of like see their faces as they're like touching it. And it's, it's just, it's very fascinating to see like a group of 12 children like all have yeah. your experiences at the same time yeah. and to go like, huh, that's really interesting. So all that to say, if anybody works in classrooms, you know, I think that's <laughs> a really, you know, it's a great opportunity to be looking at these things. And if you see a child who really struggles, like you've talked about, like who's struggling with certain things, maybe that's a referral, you know, or maybe that's a, Hey, how can we better help this child in the classroom setting too? Which I think, you know, just in case you need more business ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm not busy. So you don't have enough, right? Um, yeah, no, it's huge. I also, in terms of like, as you're speaking, I'm thinking also about how like it's uh, like another big feeding environment for children are is in school. Like after you know, outside of from home, which is a big part, is like really they spend a lot of time in school, a lot of time eating with their their peers, and like having positive feeding exploration experiences with other kiddos and like you know like feeding off of the excitement together i feel like can like set the frame framework like create a reality that those kids can then take these tools and then at home maybe we'll not be as nervous to try certain foods maybe we'll be more open you know maybe we'll surprise their their caregiver at home like oh they're curious now how did this happen you know and a lot of times like as a parent it is really disheartening when a child is like, I don't want to eat it or pushes it away or throws everything off. And like, then it's like, what are they going to eat? They're going to starve. Like what are, yeah. they need to eat something. And then, you know, you're like default. Okay. What can I give them that they will eat? And then it's like finding that balance of like, no, you need to create structure. You need to offer the right foods. Like don't, you know, not to keep feeding into this loop of like refusal and then offering the same foods that they do like, 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 finding that balance of like exposing them to foods and also creating safe, safe foods that they do want to eat, like creating that togetherness, you know, in one, in one experience. And that like, if they have the tools, maybe from like a fun exploration at school, they'll be more open to trying out foods on their plate, you know, at home. It's like yeah. a big, a big picture that I'm yeah. hoping for. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. My daughter takes her school teaches Mandarin and Spanish. Um, so my, cool. my five year old, <laughs> so my five and a half year old in kindergarten, she has like Spanish <laughs> twice. I think Spanish twice and Mandarin like once in each rotation. Oh, yeah, and so she comes home with like recipes sometimes, and she's like, "Can we make so this?" Fun. And like, it's they're really excited to like do things at home that they talk about in school. And like, she's totally. five. So like, it's still totally. like very exciting. Like preschoolers love that stuff too. So I love that, like, that suggestion because I think whatever we can do to bridge that gap between their natural environments, like school's a very natural environment and home is a very, is obviously like the most natural environment, but also yeah. recognizing, like you said, that 
a lot of children do spend a lot of time in school, a lot of their waking hours, especially as they get a little bit older um, and they're not napping at, you know, in school, they spend a lot of waking hours at school. And, you know, if not sometimes on days, maybe more at school than at home, depending on, you know, yeah. how, how long a child's yeah, at school. For sure. So I think it's really key to try and always like, like, cause you're, I hear you thinking and it's like very much so like, how do we generalize this? Like, how do we help bring what they're doing in one environment to the other environment in a very natural way that they're going to be excited about and that they're going to want to, you know, engage in like without us even asking really like they, you know, if, yeah. you know, it's successful if they come home and they're like, I want X or I want to do Y, you know, you're like, Oh, that that's carrying over. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. For sure. So can yeah. you, so you mentioned that you, um, with your license in New York and New Jersey, you do some like consulting, um, do you do like any virtual treatment? Is it more consulting? Like, what does that look like? So right as of right now, I not, I I've been doing mostly like parent coaching, I would say virtually, um, not like treatment per se virtually. Um, but yeah, mostly parent coaching, which I feel like is a big part of it. And then like, you know, those parents kind of checking in with me every few sessions of them, you know, feeding their kiddos, whether it's bottle feeding or breastfeeding or, you know, starting solids, baby led feeding, all that stuff. So like, then they check in with me about how it's going. Okay. They, you know, and I help create like where there's success, let's build from that success where there's positive experiences. Let's add on, like, let's expand those things, you know? So it's been, it's been that virtually. And in, in terms of home, it's like, you know, like I mentioned a lot of also building from the positive experiences and then like, okay, this kid, you know, this one child was okay with mixed textures together. Whereas before it was like not even on the radar. So then it's like, okay, maybe in a few weeks, I will, I'm going to talk to the mom and we're going to create a dinner plan. You know, let's put one food with mixed text textures and the rest of the foods to be like the safe foods that, you know, the kiddo is com confident with. And let's, let's have them slowly explore those, those experiences from the, you know, from the place that they're already succeeding in. Yeah. I mean, parent like coaching is huge. I mean, it's, it's such a big part of what we do. And yeah. I will admit that it sometimes is the trickiest part for me when I was going into a lot of preschools and like the families weren't there and I was interacting more with the teachers and then sending yeah, home yeah. like, you know, a note to the parents and trying to explain to them, Hey, this is what we were really successful at today. Please do this like over the next week. And, and mm -hmm. our families are amazing. Like, and they, you know, they really did what they could and they do what they can. Um, but I think that's such a huge part that is maybe not talked about enough. Um, it's funny, like I came out of the school system where that's all they wanted us to do was parent coaching model in uh, like in infants and toddlers. And then, uh -huh. you know, I went into private practice and it was like, a lot of the focus was all like oral mo sensory oral motor. And I was like, no guys, we need to have like a marriage of the two. Like yes. we do need both. <laughs> but I think that from, you know, the point of like what you're, you're talking about, what you do virtually for a lot of families, like if we can just kind of help coach them, I think a lot of their anxiety is decreased and they feel more empowered. Like I know you kind of talk to like really wanting to empower parents and, you know, if we can empower them to just try certain things and know that it's coming from sound advice where like, no, you're, we're not, what we're telling you is not going to harm your child. Like it's going to be okay. Here's how we're going to do it. Like report back on how it went. We will tweak it from there. And then really, like you said, highlighting the positive experiences, like that's always been like one of my big, like, I don't know if it's like, if it's called a mantra or a value or what, but I've always said, we need to build on the positive, like you said. And I was like, when you said, I was like, yes, because, <laughs> you know, if a child succeeds, they're so proud of themselves. They feel so good, like internally, externally, yeah, like yeah, that feedback. Yeah. And we know if they're happy and they feel successful, the parent's going to look at them and be like, oh my gosh, you did it. Right. And so a lot of children aim to please, especially like the younger that they are. Yeah, and I'm like, if yeah, we yeah. can like intentionally set them up for success, like the more success they have, the more willing they'll be to take risks. And that's what I started to see in my own now eight-year-old, like when she was in preschool sure. and then kindergarten, I was like, wow, okay. Like she's so proud of herself. And now she was then more willing to start taking more risks. And I was like, I mean, human psychology, right? But also just <laughs> actually play out. I was like, this is very cool. So, um, yeah. so yeah, do you have any like interesting cases that you, you're able to talk about without, you know, identifying the child? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with, uh, with this current case. 
Um, it's it's a boy who has, I would say, like just general texture aversions. He after the evaluation, it was like really cool because I was like based on everything, I was able to like connect the dots that he's just generally a hypersensitive, you know, sensory seeking kiddo. And um, and it totally consistently plays out in his food, you know, from the moment he was basically eating like he only wants hard foods, crunchy foods you know, lots of input that all the foods that kind of give him input refuses purees, refuses anything soft and yogurts, like all that, like absolutely not to the point where he'll gag and, you know, like anything that's saucy, anything like just, it's, it was like a hard no. Um, and I've been having like a lot of fun creating like all these different edible sensory bins that I've been bringing, you know, and the mom is, she's loving watching him explore. Like when we started out, we did like, you know, like yogurt, which he will not like, doesn't like, won't, won't really want to engage with or eat for sure. We did like yogurt finger painting and we colored all the different yogurts and it was like this whole art experience for him and also to get his fingers in. And I saw he was very hesitant in the beginning. This was like one of our first sessions and he, I brought paintbrushes cause I was like, no pressure. Here's napkins. If it gets dirty and you don't like it. Cause he doesn't enjoy, you know, getting dirty, for example. And, um, and he started with a paintbrush and then like got rid of the paintbrush, put one finger in. And then I was like, you know, I was doing it with him and I was like, isn't it so cold that we were talking about properties and, and comparing it and, oh, this is similar. It's cold, like ice cream. Oh, we like ice cream. Okay. You know, just like having like a very calm, cool, like pressure free conversation about food. And then by the time I was leaving, oh, and I printed out, I spoke to the mom beforehand. So like, she told me like the different things that he likes, like Avengers and, you know, all these like cute, cute kid stuff. So I printed out coloring pages in the thing that he is most interested in, motivated with. And by the end, he, I was leaving his, both hands were like in yogurt. <laughs> like the whole thing. I was like, so happy to see this. It was like the most exciting. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. And like, He's ha- like he's experiencing food in a play way, which is like oftentimes parents don't see that as an option. Like you sit down, you eat, and then you go play. You know, like, and we need that messy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like as a mom, like who wants to clean up all this? I I made sure to bring a tablecloth and wrap everything up, so the mom didn't have to do any cleaning. I thought everything through. As a mom myself, I was like, I'm getting into someone's home. I want to make sure everything is like seamless and good. So I made sure everything was good to go. We wrapped it up and threw it out at the end. You know, or like she did because he wanted to keep coloring with his yogurt, but. <laughs> But like, you know, just making sure to give the opportunity of like playing with foods. Like even when I, the first time ever exposing my toddler to, to, to foods and to solids and like a lot of it was a massive mess. And like my mom, you know, my parents immigrated from the Soviet Union. So like, like they have a lot of like, you know, like a typical old school mentality, like what is this playing with food? Like they should be eating and eating a lot. And, you know, and like a huge part, it's like, it's about quality, not quantity. You know, a lot of feeding experience and a lot of, you know, feeding therapy, it's about quality, not quantity, because the quality helps build and impact the quantity of how much the child will want to eat or consume. So like seeing that through my, you know, my daughter being exposed to all these different textures and playing with it for a few months, I was like, even I was getting a little nervous. I'm like, I don't know if she's eating anything. And then all of a sudden there was just like, I feel like a food boom, you know, they have like children have like a they start booming with language at a certain age. Like, I feel like she had this like breakthrough where every, she was just eating everything, every kind of texture. There was like a certain point where I was like, wow, I see the impact of like the play opportunity, the exploration opportunity, then impacting a positive experience, even for someone so little, like a six month old, you know? And then all of a sudden they're like so curious to eat everything. So from that experience, and then also from, yeah, like I was mentioning the the current case that I'm having a lot of fun with amongst all the other ones that I'm seeing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but you brought up also another really good conversation just in, in that, you know, culturally, right? Whether well, it's yeah. <laughs> religious or there's culture, there's some type of, you know, traditions or just something that we need to be sensitive to because like my husband is Belarusian. He was born in Belarus and, you know, I grew up in a Jewish household where we actually kept kosher growing up. I don't keep kosher now. So, you know, it's like the marriage of like these two backgrounds into one household with a child who's eating well. (laughs) 
know, I'm like, I, there was one point where like we had family visiting. I won't name any names, um, but <laughs> force feeding. And I was standing there biting my tongue and, and I was like not working with infants yet. I was really working more with like two on up, but like my gut was just like, no, no, everything about this screams no. And they're like distracting <laughs> her with this new electronic book they got yes, and it's singing yes, and making yes. noise and oh, and we're gonna shove it in and we're gonna turn uh-huh, the page and we're gonna uh-huh. it. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I was like, all right. I'm like, I, I maybe, maybe not a lot of damage will be done if happens with one meal. But after that, like, yeah, I was exactly. I was like beside myself. And so I was like, I talked to my husband first and I was like, listen, I really don't know how to approach this other than to say like never again. Um, <laughs> and it never happened again. And and I think that there was also some like, I mean, I didn't want to be disrespectful, but at the same time, like I was just like my child all like she was, she was a kid who would eat a lot of things, but preferred purees. She was a child who would eat like very tiny little cubed foods and she was still an infant at this point. Right. So, you know, she was getting a lot of her nutrition from breast milk, but it was, yeah, I just stood there and I was like, okay, my eyes have not been up open to an entire different conversation around feeding and Again, I wasn't working with infants yet, but it really made me cognizant and kind of just aware of like the conversations that I needed to even have with families to understand, like, what are their backgrounds? Like, what, what are their traumas? <laughs> Do they have traumas around oh, feeding? Totally. Like, <laughs> totally. their experiences, their traditions, yeah. are there certain yeah. laws they follow? Like, what do, like, what do I need to know? And yeah, it was just completely eye opening. And, and that's, she's the one who's now eight. Um, but yeah, I mean, she was a great, <laughs> great solid speeder in the very beginning. And then it kind of started to change, like act as she was closer to like a year or so. Of course, when you meet them actually like eating solid foods, like, you know, of course. regularly yeah, yeah, she started yeah. to like oh cut things out a little bit. She was okay. And then around like, I think it was 15 months, she had like a bad reaction to getting too many vaxes in one day. And like oh, the next gosh. day I just cut out a bunch of food. And I was like, oh, okay, fun. Whoa. Fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she's been one of my greatest teachers. I will give her that. <laughs> a lot of life experience. That's what inspires yeah. us. I feel like as feeding therapists, it's like it's yeah. the added element of like having our own little kiddos that we're we're exploring with, we're learning with. You know, mm-hmm. we're making mistakes and growing from, and like that whole humbling, incredibly humbling experience of having children. <laughs> um, yeah, I also had like my like what I just described my my toddler now. Like she was eating everything and I was like yeah I did it like (laughs) you know and then she hit the toddler stage and know this and know that and like whether it's like wanting to establish you know that like autonomy or like you know the cheesing control and whatever else plus maybe she didn't like some things and now she's starting to have opinions on things (laughs) and I was like what happened it's like it was like so heartbreaking that I'm like oh my gosh did something go wrong like I don't know so now we're like I'm relearning this experience from like a new stage of my child you know and I feel like it's so fascinating to like build on these different stages and seeing and understanding them from like a clinical perspective of like developmental milestones and like where we need to be holding at and also now like experiencing also as a mom like okay you know now she's like really become a picky eater and I and sometimes will like literally refuse most of dinner and I really try to only offer her the food that me and my husband eat like I don't want to be making her separate food like separate meals like I'm not about that you know so I'm like okay let's try this again so try to like you know work through things and something like for example like broccoli she always refuses broccoli like any typical kid like why vegetables and then I always 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 put it on her plate always no matter what and she always pushes it away doesn't want it and literally last week she decided not to eat the rice she ate the chicken and she ate broccoli and she asked for more broccoli. And I was like, I was like to my husband, I'm like, did you see this? Like, I, I don't know what to do with myself. I was like, so, so excited. And I was like, this, this is so important. This is like such a learning lesson for me. And I'm like, I'm so going to like, take this into like, you know, feeding therapy with the other parents that I'm going to be working with also like, keep exposing your kids to all the foods that you think they're not going to eat. Like she said no so many times more than she said yes. But the fact that she said yes, was huge like monumental like for me especially as a parent i'm like yeah i'm like now that she had broccoli once like that's it like that means that she would sometimes eat broccoli that means it would sometimes eat other vegetables that we're gonna reintroduce you know slowly slowly because i see that like you know we have to find this like fine balance um 
for her picky eating. Yeah. yeah. No, and that's exactly how it happens. It's that continued exposure and having it available, but not putting the pressure on. And like, yeah. you know, and then I also like, she would like my own child, you know, would eat something and I'd be like, do I celebrate? Like, what do I say? I don't want to make a big deal. Yeah. But also in my head, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Fireworks going off. I'm yeah, like, like, act hello. cool, act chill. Yeah, don't yeah. react. So hard. Because if you get a different response for this food, then, you know, like, yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Oh my gosh. Sure. Oh, well, this has been amazing. Thank you so yeah, much. Where so can everybody find you online? Sure. So my website is www.littleeatersfl.com. And my Instagram handle is at littleeatersfl. Um, and I'm going to be slowly building reels and making things and sharing what my experience is and um, slowly building all these ideas. And I'm, yeah, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for joining me. This has been amazing. SLPs and OTs, students, and those who want to become pediatric feeding therapists, just a reminder that Doors to Feed the Peds are open this week only, five days from January 29th through February 2nd at midnight Eastern time. So go to feedthepeds.com and join us. If you have any questions at all, you can email us at support at feedthepeds.com or DM me on Instagram at Hallie Balkin. But this Feed the Peds is your course. You get lifetime access to this 40.5 hour course that will help you understand the foundations of pediatric feeding and swallowing and truly step into becoming a pediatric feeding therapist who can assess and treat pediatric feeding disorder cases. So go to feedthepeds.com and join us and over 2000 other SLPs and OTs who have already gone through this course and stepped into becoming pediatric feeding therapists or expanded on their pediatric feeding journey. We can't wait to see you in there. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you found value in this episode and want to hear more of these Myotots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode on your social media platforms. You can access free resources and all I offer at hallybalkin.com or pop over to at hallybalkin on Instagram to get all the latest updates.